Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast, where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today, I speak with Ben Shaw from South Africa. Ben is an Alan Gray Fellow, ex-investment banker, and the founder of HouseMe, a prop tech company for which for several years was ranked as the most innovative property venture in Africa. After building the startup, Ben served as chief commercial officer for a rentals payments platform, and is now a senior associate at XEO Capital, an Africa-focused private equity firm, where he's leading the charge on two new funds to be unveiled in 2023. Ben studied in Cape Town, includes computer gaming and VR as areas of keen interest, and is happily married to Carla. Ben and I spoke about the role mentors have played during his ups and downs, how he deals with stress, and the importance of contextualizing leadership and business advice. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Benjamin. Welcome to the Everyday Leader podcast. Really excited to speak with you today. You have tons of uh, different types of experience, ranging from being a startup founder yourself, then into also investment banking and a lot in between. So welcome to our show. Thanks, Chris. Looking forward to it. So I'd love to uh, start by asking you to reflect on an early leadership experience that you may have had and how that has started uh, you down the road of leadership and, and how that may have shaped your early career. Sure. Um, a lot of the early leadership roles that I was fortunate enough to participate in or, or have an opportunity to serve in uh, came from school level. So whether that was uh, captaining teams or, or being part of specific projects put together by associations or societies, uh, that was a great opportunity. Um, I found the, the sort of, if I can call that sort of role, the, the captain role, uh, to really be uh, filling people with confidence as, as sort of a, a key hallmark of that type of leadership style. Um, and and captaining a team, uh, I think of sports, is often about instilling confidence in, in people around you, getting the best out of them, eliciting uh, support, but then also belief in, in a cause. And that sort of informed the, the early stages of, of my next few ventures, uh, where I was very collaborative with peers in building uh, particular systems and, uh, and processes for, for small companies. Um, the first one I can think of in, in terms of a, of a team that we built uh, was called Varsity View, uh, and it was a small student-run, student-managed uh, sort of four-student platform uh, which ran blog and investment articles and podcasts um, and that was really unpaid for everyone to collaborate on uh, run a particular theme and, and sort of get buy-in and, and a lot of the experience i had in, in, in captaining teams sort of came to the fore because didn't have any other way to incentivize uh, everyone working on it so you're mentioning this this term captain uh in that you found yourself uh serving as as a captain in this first uh, experience that you were we're founding Varsity View. Um, when I think about captain, uh, I associate it with with back in, in my sports time in in school. And and yes, you are a leader, but you're also very much a peer and a player within a team. Um, so, w- what are some examples of how you were stepping up as a captain in those early days? And and how would you kind of describe yourself looking back uh, at your performance as a captain? Yeah, that's a very uh, astute point that, that captains are, are players that play. Um, and I think 
I think the sports team analogy is is useful um, because not only is confidence instilled in putting a structure together and, and having rigor around what you're achieving, but it's also about having a stand or an example uh, by which to, um, to to build or to measure oneself uh, and, and for peers to feel comfortable that they understand the vision uh, is one thing, but to then also have someone that they can trust to deliver at a, at a certain quality is, is another. And so, so captaining or uh, visionary sort of ideation level leadership, I think there's a lot about that. And that's something that I've carried with me right through uh, my, you know, still fledgling, I would like to think, uh, career. Uh, but certainly uh, was stifled for a period uh, after varsity when I went into a much more structured environment. Uh, so so did, did my studies um, and then went to investment banking. And there, your collaboration and sort of visioning and, and confidence getting uh, is very much replaced by efficiency, uh, tools to get things done, and and being the most productive you can be. And so that was quite a different, uh, almost a jarring experience. Obviously, I learned a lot at the time, but very different to sort of that captain model uh, that that I've become familiar with uh, over the few years of, of running Varsity View. So you you entered back into kind of the, the workforce and you had to be more of, of a team player, but then you did go on to serve as the CEO of HouseMe, a, a startup that uh, was in the real estate sector. Can you tell us more about um, what kind of inspired you to start that company and uh, what the experience kind of taught you about leadership and management? Oh, that's a. There's a lot of a lot of different stories in that, uh, Chris. But maybe to 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 sort of just uh, zoom in first on that transition uh, from Varsity. So while I was studying, uh, started Varsity View. I, I left that. It was it was only while I was studying, so it, it was never a full time occupation. Uh, and my my goal had been uh, throughout my my studying uh, my university career. Uh, to enter into venture capital or private equity or some level of investment management. In fact, I actually took the time to fly out to Silicon Valley on one of my holiday breaks to to try to meet a few of the relevant uh, people in industry. And I managed to network with a few venture capitalists. And uh, and their advice was, uh, there are only two ways to get into this industry. Either you're a successful tech founder with experience or you're an investment banker with an MBA and a bit of uh, a bit of a network, and so coming out of uh, Varsity, I tried to do uh, both of those, um, and I joined an investment bank. Now, an investment bank is everything you've ever heard of it—the good, the bad, uh, the the ugly. It certainly is one of the most grounding experiences for a, a graduate, and I found that the skill set that you you deliver, or the technical skill that that you're able to absorb, is is really it was just fantastic. And so I spent all of my time learning and absorbing and never being the smartest person in the room. And, and so as I, as I alluded to, that, that sort of experience was was really good for honing efficiency and understanding uh, productivity at a, a sort of a micromanagement level, um, you know, understanding how to allocate tasks, um, project timelines, uh, workflows uh, and systems. Uh, and then I left that to found a company called HouseMe Houseme was in the real estate sector. It was a property technology company that focused on residential renting. And the opportunity there, uh, the insight, was uh, pricing is terribly inefficient. And there are two reasons in South Africa for that. Uh, firstly, the market has asymmetric information. That's true of any market, not just South Africa. 
But in South Africa, the second reason for the inefficiency, the much more problematic one, is the uh, systemic racism and unfair discrimination that that sort of plagues so many. And so you were never getting efficient sort of clearing prices, uh, being the, the fair value of, of, of a rent between a, a tenant and a landlord, because landlords in some cases weren't willing to consider all tenants. And in other cases, tenants knew that they didn't even need to apply to a particular landlord or, or, or building uh, for, for that reason. And so the transition from banking into that uh, was different in leadership, but also different focus. And I, I would I would sort of categorize that uh, that change as being uh, one led by a purpose, a, a sort of a, a passion or a drive that was sufficiently powerful to pull others behind and, and sort of get alignment um, so, sort of to that goal or, or to that to that vision. It meant that uh, over the course of about five, six years, we built a team of 30, uh, 35, I think. Uh, unfortunately, the business is, is no longer in existence um, uh, through uh, various uh, shareholder changes and corporate structure amendments over time. Um, but but that was really what I did after banking, and and uh, and I guess the the, um, the the golden thread was finding problems, solving them, and learning as I go uh, was really what I enjoyed, and and I've been able to maintain that uh, right through. In the years that helped me, would you have described yourself as a captain during those years, or some other form of leader? Yeah, I, I think there were times that that was the the most important aspect of leadership. Uh, leadership is very difficult and notoriously difficult, as you know, to, to sort of define. Uh, I think I think uh, a servant a servant leader would have been my ideal. Um, I know a lot of people would have described me as as being more visionary or, or big picture, uh, but ultimately I think you, you wear a few hats. So so captain in selling conference for sure. Being the visionary, the, pur- the, the, the sort of instilling the the purpose and the passion that people can can fall behind uh, for sure as well, uh, and then you've got to actually become a manager. And this was a transition from banking where I was a junior, and managing is all about unblocking people, uh, in, in my opinion. Uh, so, so a good manager is not adding to your workload, not increasing your complexity, um, distorting your priorities. Uh, she should be able to. Uh, remove obstacles, um, set the correct prioritization, understand timelines and deliverables, set reasonable targets. And so that was a, a very big learning curve, but also something I found very easy to do after the micromanaging uh, of, of banking and now having people who, who not only had to be there, but wanted to be there, really believed in the purpose, uh, needing a bit of guidance as to what to do first, second or third. And then, as you say, you know, becoming the chief executive that transition, particularly as a founder, into acting as an executive was was part of that journey. And leading in a C-suite role, even though it was a very small company, really means that your, your leadership has to be both down and up. And what I mean by that is you're responsible to your team that you hire, but then also to the, to the various stakeholders and, and shareholders that, that you have. And that, that sort of style, again, I suppose, links a bit back to, to captaining. But uh, in a much more um, granular level, it's also performance linked, and, and ultimately you're responsible both up and down, which uh, which can be a lot of pressure in a startup. Yeah, that's fascinating to hear how you made that transition from being a junior and and kind of surrounding yourself and being the the most junior in the room to then leading a, a team of thirty as a, as a startup founder and as a CEO uh, and needing to kind of switch gears in a lot of different ways. And you mentioned there was. 
a learning curve, but that ultimately you did find your footing. Um, and so as you moved on from HouseMe, how did you um, kind of go beyond a startup founding? I know I recently in the past couple of years have launched my own startup and it's hard for me to think about what, what happens next, uh, what, what can be as exciting as starting a company. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you uh, transitioned uh, from that experience and, and what uh, kind of was your guiding principles. Yeah, you know, so, so maybe worth pointing out um, a few of the the lessons learned, or, or let me say the, the blocks upon which I was able to do the, the previous transition that, that you've described. Uh, and that was uh, down to two things which I'd like to give credit to. The one was a fantastic opportunity as part of the Alan Gray Orbis Foundation, which is a uh, a program, a um, uh, an NGO, sorry, an NPO endeavor uh, created by um, Mr. Alan Gray himself to create or sustain or improve or encourage entrepreneurial talent, uh, not from going sort of straight from school into university and into corporate, which is the sort of more traditional safer route, but actually to encourage entrepreneurship and startup and uh, and small business development. And as part of that fellowship, as part of that program, um, I'd always wanted to to start a business, and and I alluded to my uh, my my desire to become a, a venture capitalist or, or a private equity allocator, and um, and that was informed by that as well. You know, really wanting to uh, involve myself in the ecosystem of small business and uh, development right across across the continent. So that made a, a really big difference to how I would view all of the opportunities. So right through, you know, Varsity View, banking, and, and then of course at HouseMe, I was always looking for ways that I could apply uh, the learning, the, the great opportunities I had back into a different context, different environments. So I would keep journals. I would uh, regularly listen to particular shows, read particular books. We actually had a, one of the first pieces of furniture HouseMe acquired was a bookshelf, uh, not a boardroom table. There were many uh, months that we we had uh, more books than we had chairs to, to sit down on, and uh, and that kind of really um, set the tone for for how we would learn quickly and, and transition. The second thing that really helped uh, was mentorship, and um, some people will, will call it different things. I didn't, uh, for any lengthy period, have a, a traditional executive coach. I think that that may have been helpful. But mentors who often uh, cases became angel investors or advisors to the board, or indeed board directors, uh, were were incredibly helpful uh, through that through that period. Um, firstly, they, they kept me aligned to the vision that everyone bought into. Secondly, they would help manage up and down, or, or certainly I'd be reporting to them. So one of those would always be uh, be on the on, on the radar. Uh, and, and then thirdly, they they would encourage. Uh, and sort of cajole where there was a bit of a dip, and um, equally they would they would just calm down and, and slow us down when we thought we were, uh, you know, we were doing very well. And that kind of uh, rational, calming, steady, stabilizing influence uh, was hugely helpful, uh, particularly as we were young founders, uh, you know, who believed very much in our, in our vision and, and purpose, and sometimes needed a bit of rationalization. So, so with those two factors in mind, that transition from you know being a student to being a junior to to managing and effectively building building a company, we're all um, we're all tied into this this mentorship journey and and people who I still see regularly today, uh, which has been now over sort of 10, 15 years of my life, being able to regularly meet and chat and and, and get encouragement from 
and learn from. It, it now sort of manifests a little differently in that I, I wear a, a different hat. I'm sitting in a private equity vehicle. Uh, we have funds that we manage in which we invest into management teams. And so I'm able to, in some small way, I hope, uh, provide some insight and input and experience back into the ecosystem in, in different ventures and in different ways, uh, but trying to play that role of training and supporting and encouraging leaders who I know are wearing all of these these various hats in, in what they do each day. Yeah, it's, it's super clear now that this uh, support network that you've had through uh, the Alan Gray Foundation and um, other uh, forms of advisors and mentors really help shape and provide this um, support system uh, so that you could confidently take uh, next steps throughout your career and then inform this uh, ability and, and desire to then give back uh, to the ecosystem that, that kind of uh, brought success to you. Um, I'd love to hear a bit more about the current role that you you have at XEO Capital. Can you tell us more about uh, what the vision there is and, and what you're hoping to to accomplish? Yeah, absolutely. So, so XEO Capital um, has a fantastic vision, uh, which I could get behind. And again, having, having gone through the experience of building the vision, building the team, putting people towards it, I know what it takes to, to really have, uh, have a, a sort of a North Star and, uh, and theirs is, is to build capital consciously um, into businesses that, that will add value. So, so to create value in, in, uh, in conscious businesses right across Africa um, and allow both people and business to, to thrive on the back of that. And that's, that's a goal which, uh, although I could never have expressed it like that um, while I, you know, back in varsity, uh, certainly resonates. And, and so that's a big reason for, for me having, having taken that step. The other, the other reality, uh, Chris, is, is that um, it's difficult to be a startup founder and context matters. So when you're taking risks, uh, and at the time it was absolutely everything I had, uh, I literally went back to stay at, at the parents, worked out of a garage for, for the first 18 months, for all of those stories. When, when, you've, when you've done that uh, and you're faced with the, the uh, I guess, the, the reality that you'd have to do it all again at the end of Housemi's uh, life cycle, um, it was also a different set of options that were presented to me, and, and I've taken a, a one that I think aligns better to where I ultimately want to get to. Um, not to say I wouldn't be, be keen on another startup at some point, but that is a big reason for, for why it was such a, an, appealing, uh, an appealing opportunity. It, it, it resonates with, with who I am and what I want to do, uh, and then has this, this value um, or, or the sort of North Star of values that, uh, that resonate. And so what we do in, in, in the team, we, we're looking after uh, a number of funds. We are Pan-African, as I mentioned, and we invest in uh, sort of the traditional PE market, um, although particularly with, with some news we can only share in the new year, we will be putting a fund to market, which might have a slightly earlier stage focus as well. Uh, and I'm really hoping to, to add value and, and to keep learning, which, uh, which as I said, I've, I've always enjoyed. And I'm curious to hear you share more about how you've also adjusted to kind of the new hybrid work uh, environment and, and how you and your team are uh, kind of diving into new trends. You mentioned that uh, you're bringing together uh, or establishing a, a new fund uh, in, in the new year. How do you go about kind of embracing 
uh, some of this future of work uh, trends? Yeah, so, so actually, even in, in the HouseMe days, we, we, we try to do things a bit differently. Um, it's easier in a startup, of course, than in a, uh, in a more traditional or bricks and mortar business. Um, but, uh, we, you know, we, we would do things like, uh, like lock-ins, we would call them, where all of the team would be in a room for, for a particular period of time with one problem. And, you know, we'd, we'd be in inverted commas uh, locked in until the problem was solved, or until we had a good solution or innovation. Um, and, uh, and those sorts of um, uh, practices, which were, were non-conventional at, at the time, uh, and I suppose now post-COVID, also probably not very wise. Um, but, but at the time, that those really helped in galvanizing the team and uh, building up the trust between team members to, to work independently and, and come together on a solution. And that's really what we're seeing in, in the market today, where companies that have a high level of trust, interdependent relationships, uh, quite stable teams, usually more senior teams, are, are adopting uh, to the hybrid lifestyle and, and work style very, very well. Uh, performance hasn't been impacted, and, and generally the reports are of better work-life balance. The converse is true in, in, in slightly more junior or collaborative or relational roles. And I think there are a few obvious reasons for that. But one of the less obvious reasons is that um, it's quite difficult to replicate culture if you're not sort of, <laughs> if it's not via osmosis, which might sound a bit strange. But, but the reality is when you, when you meet someone face to face or you're working next to them or alongside them in a desk, you simply build a better rapport than, than over a screen. And so we found uh, junior uh, junior employees, graduates, um, people still very much on the on, on the learning curve in a new role. Uh, they perform far better and are actually much happier um, reporting into someone that they can meet or into a team that that's actually physically present. Interestingly, although that that's quite a you know you maybe expect that that isn't always what the person thinks. That a lot of the uh, the feedback is that actually we like working from home. But the performance drop-off uh, seems to suggest we, we might have more hybrid than, than complete sort of uh, remote work. And that's what we're doing at, at Exeo. So at Exeo, it's, it's a hybrid. Uh, there are particular days, times, and meetings that we're all in. Uh, and for, for other days, uh, you're, you're able to, to work from, from wherever it suits you, uh, so long as the work is done. It's so true about having uh, a culture and, and a sense of trust, and, and uh, definitely can be more difficult if you haven't already established that trust. Uh, so if you're starting a, a new team and not being able to do some of these hybrid kind of in-person sessions, uh, I imagine uh, could be quite difficult. And it's really leaving a lot of leaders who have maybe uh, go-to strategies that worked prior kind of needing to reinvent uh, how they show up uh, as, as a leader. And I'm curious, you have now kind of worn a number of different hats. Um, are there any kind of through lines or, or superpowers that you've identified that uh, you've been able to hone in and continue to apply in a lot of these different roles or even in, in the coming uh, years as you build out this new fund? Uh, it's it's a tough question because uh, there's so much more to learn and, and grow into. And uh, and if I'm good at something today, I, I hope to be a lot better at it t tomorrow. Um, and I suppose in, in some ways that that learning or that desire to learn and improve uh, could be seen as a sort of a, a positive character trait. Uh, it can also be exhausting. I can uh, share from from experience. Uh, but but I think staying humble and learning is, is really important. And then 
on the flip side, if you're willing to make mistakes and learn quickly and put yourself in uncomfortable situations, you also then have to develop resilience to failure. And uh, failure isn't—it's uh, it, obviously a negative term, and, and uh, no one wants to fail. But uh, I've really adopted the phrase "failing forward," making sure that whatever whatever doesn't work, uh, it still it, it progresses forward. Um, and uh, and sometimes that's that's really the best you can do of a bad situation. But it's also sometimes the best situation where where something doesn't work, but you can learn from it and and uh, and move forward with it. And I would say uh, developing that level of resilience is important. Uh, in, in the in the journey of house me we were bankrupt four times uh, and and in the fifth time we we um through through COVID and as i shared through a few structuring uh, changes you know we actually uh, sh shut the business down and, and sold off our book uh, but in those four times the, the first time we were bankrupt i was far more nervous and concerned and uh, agitated than the second the third and, and and by the fourth it was it was sort of what i've seen this done that been there um and got the t-shirt uh, and so you also develop uh, a very, very high tolerance for stress and risk. Uh, and uh, when people describe resilience in, in others, I think sometimes they feel that a resilient person doesn't feel the strain. And that's not true. Uh, it's more the ability to compartmentalize and uh, to deal with each problem in and of itself and in its own right and, and not blow up 10 separate issues into one massive uh, sort of overwrought problem. And so I think that that resilience and compartmentalization I would, I would describe as my uh, as my focus areas, uh, perhaps over the last ten years, and and ones that I've I've honed uh, some skill in. Yeah, th this idea of failing forward is so important, and you've really embraced that in in quite a story to go through kind of bankruptcy four times. Uh, so that's quite uh, incredible to hear, and kind of just to normalize that in order to push forward a vision. Um, and I'm sure that you bring that to to your current uh, approach to leadership and, and running businesses and not being afraid of, of failure. Are there specific uh, frameworks or, or like uh, approaches that help you operationalize this concept of failing forward? Yeah, and, and actually, just to pick up your your point on um, on using it uh, in, you know, in the in the current fund or in my current role, one of the one of the decisions I made uh, coming out of banking actually was that I would never ever be scared of any piece of work given to me, and that was a decision. It's, it's not that I always know what to do with it, but that I wouldn't I wouldn't feel fear, and that has been a, a big lesson that I've applied right, right across uh, across the last uh, sort of decade of work. Uh, in that there's nothing, and, and of course I could be wrong, but I always feel there's nothing that can come my way that I can't work out eventually. It might take two all-nighters, it might take new reading, a new mentor, it might take a new skill set, but, but I won't be put off uh, by something that, that's new or difficult. And, and that I think is the starting point to how you apply that more generally, is, is to look at whatever you get as a challenge, not a problem. And then say to yourself, "Well, I've you know I've come so far, uh, you know I can do one more one more step. I, I can I can build one more block. I can uh, run one more meter." Uh, and and that sort of approach gets you to break down problems into into small bite-sized chunks to compartmentalize, as I shared. And I think that that's really important. Um, in a fund context, we're dealing with multiple deals, multiple shareholders, stakeholders, reports um, at a time. And uh, and prioritizing that is is important. It's nice to see my old banking lessons come back to the fore in, in that way. 
uh, making sure that uh, that the right priorities are, are met in the right order, uh, and then having the ability to to combine uh, sometimes um, incoherent items into one strategy or one story, one narrative for a fund is is a real privilege and a joy, and, and something that I think Africa as as, as a whole needs to embrace more. Uh, to build a narrative of growth and success and opportunity, uh, not just these disparate um, pieces of, of well, disparate stories spread out uh, across various countries, but actually that as, as a nation and, and as a continent, we are uh, capable and, and uh, we're actually on the, on the path to success uh, with, a few, uh, with a few ups and downs on the way. You mentioned earlier that your your first piece of furniture for your startup was a, a bookshelf and that you had many books uh, around. And uh, I, I take you as kind of a prolific reader and thinking about leadership and business. Um, I'm curious how you strike the right balance between absorbing and, and understanding and gathering knowledge about uh, your sector and then actually applying it and, and acting on it. I know Earlier in my career, I, I think I was listening to podcast episodes of how I built this for several years before I was able to make the jump into entrepreneurship. And I know a lot of leaders and, and companies kind of point to different books and frameworks, uh, but there's sometimes a disconnect between uh, what is there in theory and, and how things are actually applied in practice. Uh, what, what has been your experience in terms of reading something uh, understanding a principle or a concept and uh, connecting that to actually putting it into action. So, so that's a it's a, a very interesting question, um, and I, I'll actually respond by giving the same advice I was given when I was uh, twenty one uh, by actually one of the mentors that, that I mentioned earlier. And he said uh, he said to me that no matter who I go to uh, to discuss, and probably it was Halsby, I'm not sure which uh, <laughs> I don't I can't remember what I was discussing. But he said, no matter what advice I give you or anyone else gives you, understand that I will have thought about it for all of 10 minutes. You have considered this perhaps for 10 months. There's going to be less value to my view than yours because the context is built up in your world, not in mine. And, and that's that's been a real source of great help in navigating books and, uh, and any form of, of content or advice or, or even coaches uh, and uh, and um, and directors and advisors that we've had over the time, uh, simply because you can again compartmentalize the advice into where it belongs. So books and uh, anything that you read, I sort of sort of put into two or three categories, and then I treat them uh, a bit separately. If you're reading a book on on uh, thinking about yourself, improving yourself, that's principles that you apply and habits you form. And not everything I read I will do. I mean, that, that's obviously everyone will, will take something different from that. But that's sort of one category of book. Another category of book uh, is, is leadership experience. And often those are best told in stories of people who've done well. In fact, also sometimes stories of people who haven't. Um, and I think there's a, a great need to tell stories of unsuccessful companies and founders and startups who, who have learned excellent lessons. In some cases, have learned better lessons, uh, but haven't quite uh, made it for whatever reason. And those stories, uh, I would apply more circumstantially. So for some contexts, uh, it's useful to have a model to work out, to review options according to a framework that someone's established, to, uh, for example, build a recruitment process according to you know the world's best recruiters. Um, and that's kind of category two when you learn from people's stories. 
And then the third, uh, I would say, are sort of your visioning sort of books, uh, ones that um, people will often say how much they enjoyed, uh, Malcolm Gladwell or Freakonomics, but they can't really tell me a business idea who, that came from it. And the reason for that is because that sets the scene, it, it creates uh, context, it spurs uh, ideas, and those sort of books or podcasts I'll, I'll listen to and and try to to then ruminate and meditate on and, and let it sort of dwell. And maybe in two or three years, I'll remember hearing something about it and, and I'll add to the context. And particularly in technology, there's just so much information out there that I, I don't think you'd, you'd be wise to try to apply everything you hear. You, you sort of want to build a framework and, and a, a, a data lake uh, for yourself for you to extract at various points, um, you know, the, the relevant information or, or sometimes even just the contact, the right person to ask the right question to. Uh, so that's how, how we read, um, and I'd encourage the, the team to, to do the same. And, and then we'd have a few books that were, were required reading. Um, ben Horowitz's The Hard Thing About Hard Things, for example. Every executive at House we had to read. Um, uh, the uh, Shoe Dog, the, the Nike story was another. Uh, and we had a, a book on how to build marketplace platforms. It was a, a PDF sort of research report, I should say. Uh, about 40 or 50 pages, and every single year um, our team would religiously read it uh, ahead of our strategy meeting. Fascinating. And, and when you are in your current role now, you, you mentioned earlier that when someone is giving you advice, they, they've only thought about it for, for 10 minutes. How do you go about giving advice to other business leaders uh, in your current role and as a, as a mentor more broadly? So it's been really uh, fascinating, actually, for, for me to, to see the sorts of questions that, that people di direct my way or, or, or send to me. And, and I'll often feel very unqualified to answer. Uh, and I'll often say that and say, look, I, I actually, you know, this is what I think. But but please, you know, this is my context. This is the bias I'm coming with. And, and this is the limits to, to my understanding of, of your particular business. And sometimes that in and of itself is, is very helpful uh, to, to the startup or to the, to the business that, that we're dealing with. Uh, but but how do I sort of how do I share the the advice or, or how do I um, how do I apply my own my own advice in, in providing context? I'll often try to persuade myself of a point before I'll talk about it to someone else, and and the rigor there of, of our fund is very helpful uh, in that you actually need to present to, to several people over several uh, weeks before you're able to sort of. Uh, socialize that that advice or that opinion or that recommendation uh, more broadly. Uh, and the same then applies to, to some of the conversations I'm having. Um, I've learned to slow down a bit. Uh, in startup, everything is at breakneck speed. So you make decisions all the time on the fly. Uh, and now we have a bit more time. And I've, I've learned that that's very helpful. Um, sometimes you you think you have an answer and, and an opinion. And it, it takes actually a, a few days to, to, to just uh, develop a little and, and become a bit more clear. Uh, so I'm giving myself a bit more time uh, to, to do that nowadays. And how else would you say has your leadership style uh, adjusted? It sounds like maybe you've been able to slow down and be more intentional. Is there anything else that you've noticed uh, about how you can now show up as a leader to add value? And, and how does that tie in with uh, your future goals and ambitions? I, I, I'll be honest and say I don't. I've never really considered myself a particularly good or strong or capable leader. Um, it's been opportunities that I've I've taken and uh, and lessons I've learned. And in some ways, th that's that's easier. So I, I often don't then go into a meeting assuming I'll take the lead or I know better, uh, but come in to learn and and to share what I, what I think might be of value and, and also then not be offended if no one thinks that that's that's worthwhile. 
Um, I think that's one of the, the key things uh, that I've learned and retained through leadership is that uh, you, you're not leading if you're right. If you're right and no one follows you, that's not leading. <laughs> um, you, you actually, you have to put everyone together. You have to align uh, everyone around a vision. You, you have to uh, instill the confidence in them. Uh, you have to uh, provide them the skills, the context, the uh, ability, the um, empowerment. And then you have to actually step out of the way and, and uh, support and coach and uh, teach and, uh, in some cases, uh, discipline uh, so that everyone pulls in the same direction and, and that the ultimate vision or, or goal is achieved. And so at various points of that uh, sort of process, um, you know, I'll, I'll need to step in or, or you know, our, our business would need to step in in, in particular investments, uh, but always with the goal of, of that investment, of that company performing, uh, not, not with the goal of us being seen as the, the key leader or the, or, the, or the key person or reason for, for that having taken place. Uh, and, and so that's been a really uh, a positive way to apply some of the, the lessons over the last few years. Amazing. And as we start to, to wrap up, is there anything else you would want to share with our audience about either management, leadership, startups, investment banking, private equity, or any other trends that you have come across? It's been really great to to chat, Chris. I, I would uh, encourage anyone who's listening to um, to to potentially engage with this sort of content uh, quite seriously. Not because you should be taking notes, but just because it's great to learn and grow. And, and I, I do that as much as I can. The the best leaders I've uh, worked with have always had great context and um, and a wide range of interests. And and I think. Uh, that's one of the most exciting things about being a human, not just a leader, just having a, a wide-ranging uh, set of interests. And, and so what I will say is, if it sounds like my story has had quite a few divergent paths, uh, that's been very helpful now in providing uh, context to decision-making and my role in the investment fund. Um, and long may that last. I, I, hope, uh, I hope to be adding value to others uh, as much as possible. Uh, thanks for the time. It's been, been good to connect. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's so true that, uh, you know, absorbing content, uh, whether it's podcasts, books, movies, uh, articles, uh, I, I've always found it most helpful when I'm listening or reading and I'm able to instantly apply that to the work that I'm doing now and, and see my own work uh, through a different light. Uh, and it sounds like you have done the same. So thank you so much for your time today and for sharing with us uh, your stories and your leadership journey. And we are excited to continue to follow you as you uh, explore uh, another exciting uh, round of, of growth.